Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. You're listening to the Alonement Podcast, a podcast that celebrates alone time. It doesn't matter if you're single, in a relationship, or somewhere in between. Alonement means valuing that all-important me time. I'm your host, journalist Francesca Spector. Each week, I ask a new guest about the time they spend by themselves and why it matters. I mean, I think at first I felt I felt a bit of guilt, like I was being really self-indulgent. If I was like buying buying candles for myself, or do you know what I mean? I felt, oh, should I should I be should I be doing this for for me, like buying me presents? I don't know. It felt strange at first. I guess I, you know, like many of us, I grew up in a world where. You know, you you would always put others first, like every time, and you'd put yourself last. Now, particularly during this this time of the pandemic, I've been actually putting myself first and my own needs first. I am so honoured to introduce this week's guest, Johnny Benjamin. In 2008, Johnny stood on the side of Waterloo Bridge in London, ready to take his own life. What happened next changed everything. A stranger named Neil Laybourne intervened to convince him not to jump, staying with him until the emergency services arrived. After getting help, Johnny began using his YouTube channel to share his experience of growing up gay and suffering from schizoaffective disorder. In 2014, Johnny launched a nationwide social media campaign to find the man who saved him on the bridge. He was eventually reunited with health club worker Neil Laybourne. The story has been chronicled in the Channel 4 documentary film, The Stranger on the Bridge, and Johnny later wrote a book of the same title. Neil and Johnny went on to co-found the We Are Beyond campaign to remove the stigma around mental health. Johnny recently ranked number one in the Jewish News 40 Under 40 list, and earlier this year he spoke to Chief Rabbi Ephraim Mervis in a bid to raise awareness of mental health and LGBTQ plus well-being within the Jewish community. Johnny's book, The Stranger on the Bridge, was endorsed by the Duke of Cambridge. He said, In my world, the word inspiration gets bandied around a lot, but Johnny Benjamin is truly deserving of that adjective. Johnny Benjamin, welcome to the Alonement Podcast. I'm so grateful to get the chance to speak to you today. 
How has the past few months of lockdown been for you? Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, my lockdown is, um, uh, I feel guilty saying this, but my lockdown experience is is all right, actually. It's, it's yeah, it's actually been pretty good. So I do feel a bit guilty for, for saying that. But it's been a chance for me to reset. I've needed I've needed a bit of a reset in my life for, for quite a while. It's just been incredibly hectic and kind of nonstop for the last few years. So this has allowed me a moment to um, reflect as well. Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. There's been obviously, you know, some difficult moments as for everyone. But for the most part, it's it's been all right. Yeah. I'm living alone throughout this. I think you live alone too. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but you know so I'm 33 now and you know like if this had happened when I was like 23 I would have I think I would have really struggled I I wasn't in a place yet where I could I could be alone but now I actually I'm happy to be alone and I like being alone actually it's taken me a while though to to get there you know a long time how long have you lived alone gosh it's been um I've moved around quite a bit. So it's been six months now. You went straight into living alone and then living alone in a pandemic. Yeah. But I mean, the thing is, though, because I've moved around so much in the last few years because of work. So I have had periods of living alone, then living with other people, then living alone. But I think this is probably the longest period where I've lived alone. And yeah, I just um, especially during this pandemic, I've really tried to make my space like my own. So, um, like, I, I, for me personally, like, I love candles, I love uh, incense, and so I, I'm like, I've got candles everywhere and incense everywhere, and I do things like I write positive messages to to myself, and I've got them everywhere. So things that maybe I wouldn't do if I was living with other people, I'm I'm now doing for myself. That's so great, yeah. but it's kind of you know, I that almost reminds me of kind of a cute couple leaving messages around for each other but you know I think when you live alone you sort of do those things for yourself and that's what's important yeah absolutely absolutely yeah I mean I think at first I felt I felt a bit of guilt you know like I was being really self-indulgent uh if I was like buying buying candles for myself or do you know what I mean I felt oh should I should I be should I be doing this for, for me like buying me presents it felt it just I don't know it felt strange at first um I guess I you know like many of us I grew up in a world where you know you you would always put others first like every time and you put yourself last and so yeah now particularly during this this time of the pandemic I've been actually putting myself first and my own needs first and yeah like tr- treating myself to to things that I wouldn't normally n- n- wouldn't normally do so it's been quite yeah quite an interesting time so when I emailed you before the podcast, I asked you to reflect on three different words. So that was alone, loneliness, and alonement, which of course means the opposite of loneliness when time alone is quality time. Let's start with the word alone. What does that word mean to you? Yeah, again, I, th- I think my perception of that word has changed so much over over time. So um, now, yeah, now I, I love my alone time and I I realize now when when I need that time like I mean I've always been surrounded growing up with lots of people around family and friends you know through school through university going into work and I never yeah I just never felt like I could say when I needed alone time 
or like I was saying before, I didn't feel like I sometimes deserved that alone time. I, you know, it was always other people, other people. Uh, but now finally that alone time for me, I, I've realized that it is important and it is necessary for me because like, you know, some, my head gets, uh, as a lot of people's do, my head gets so overwhelmed sometimes uh, being around people because the work that I do, I'm around people a lot. So sometimes, yeah, I need to take a step back and just be alone and, you know, maybe and, and do something for myself. And that's OK. And so when you say the word alone, uh, I guess it, it doesn't scare me anymore. Like that word used to scare me like, oh, my gosh, I'm alone this evening. And what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do with myself? That's what I used to say. But now if I think to myself, oh, I'm, I'm alone this evening, it's actually like um, it's a positive you know, I'm like, I look kind of look forward to, to that. You know what? That's really inspiring to hear, especially as, you know, I totally get the fear of being alone. And I think it took me genuinely at least a year to get used to living alone. So, you know, I, I find it amazing that as someone who had that fear, you took to living alone really quickly. Why do you think that was? I think uh, I think I've had a lot of therapy, and I think the, the therapy has helped. Uh, you know, I, I would I would talk very openly about this subject about other people and needing to be with other people, needing to please other people. That's always been a big thing for me. You know, I'm a people pleaser. Um, but actually, yeah, over the course of the last few years, doing so much therapy, I've learned that yeah, my, my needs are just as important as other people's needs there was something actually that someone told me recently which was really interesting and that was um you know when you're if you're on a, you're on an airplane and you know they're doing the safety briefing and in the safety briefing briefing they always say that the oxygen mask will drop down and they say you know make sure you fit your oxygen mask before you fit anyone else's and i, I remember when i used to when i was growing up and i had to go on an airplane i found that really strange because I was like, surely you should fit your kid's mask before you can fit your own oxygen mask. But then, yeah, someone was saying to me, well, no, you need to give yourself the oxygen before you can give anyone else that oxygen. Um, and that, that analogy is the same with real life. You know, you have to, I mean, I've got to the point uh, in recent years where I've given so much of myself, like constantly, because I, I, you know, I give a lot of talks. I'm a, I'm a public speaker and it can be pretty exhausting, but I would just give, 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 give. And yeah, um, I think through therapy, it's allowed me to finally realize that I need to give to myself as well. So I think therapy's definitely unlocked a lot for mm. me. That's really for interesting. Sure. So before, would you feel guilt in that alone time? Yeah, I'd feel, I'd feel all sorts of things, guilt and um, uh, a sort of uh, uncomfortableness, you know, uh, look. I, I would look for distraction or um, escapism. You know, um, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, lo lots of kind of more negative sort of feelings or, or negative behaviors. Even like you know, drinking by myself, um, which I don't know. I just it was never fun to be honest. But I just I don't know. Sometimes I just felt I had to do it. Yeah. And do you think that was a sort of being alone with your own thoughts thing as well? 
Oh, yeah, definitely. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, which is again how, you know, therapy has been massively helpful in terms of, um, dealing with some difficult thought patterns, you know? Yeah. I would always, when I was alone, I would always try and find ways to escape from those reoccurring negative catastrophizing, usually catastrophizing thoughts. So yeah, things like drinking or, you know, social media, uh, for example, definitely a sort of escapism for me, but usually it would make me feel worse because um, I'd be comparing myself to everyone else. I'd be going on to Instagram and, you know, seeing this person doing that amazing thing and this person having an Instagram live with that person. And I'm like, oh, I'm not, I don't think I'm good enough. I think, I think a big thing for me is actually not when I'm alone now, not running away from those thoughts actually those difficult challenging thoughts and actually dealing with them dealing with them in the sense of um I guess it's it's kind of like mindfulness you know not pushing those thoughts away just being like okay well here they are and they're just thoughts and they're not reality do you know what I mean all you know I guess again learning it's all for me it's all about you know learning tools and ways to manage I think that's it's been it's been key it's been so key so mindfulness for you is a tool to help you cope with being alone. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, and I mean, you know, it's interesting because I was literally just before speaking to you, I was speaking to my friend who, you know, is going through a bit of a bad time. And he uh, he's he's struggling with with mindfulness. He's trying to practice like meditation and he's struggling with it. And I I struggled with meditation for a long time. Uh, people kept saying to me, you need to try it. You need to, you need to practice mindfulness. And I was just like, I can't, like, I just, my, my mind just will not be, be still. It just will not get any kind of rest while I'm trying to meditate. And actually I started to learn about, um, well, particularly things like self, self-compassion and uh, non, non-judgment and, you know, that really helped. So yeah, because I, I always thought that meditation or mindfulness was about trying to get rid of those thoughts, those feelings. But yeah, now I've come to the acceptance that it's it's not about that, actually. It's just about letting things be, no matter how difficult they are, letting things be. And by doing that, by just letting things be there, it kind of has the power to sort of dissolve sometimes those difficult thoughts or feelings, you know, just, just by not pushing. What is it called? Um the more that you, the more you resist, the more they persist. That's what someone told me recently. And I, I get that. Yeah. 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 That certainly makes sense. I must say, I'm, I, I like the whole theory behind mindfulness. I'm not a regular meditator. And I don't know if this will resonate with many people, but I, you know, I think it is that almost, you know, finding it too difficult to, to still your mind and, and panicking. But the thing is, the thing is, so what I think what really helped me is, I've been listening to a lot of talks by like Buddhist Buddhist monks and these Buddhist monks have been meditating for decades and decades and decades. And, you know, I love listening to them talk because they're so honest and they, they will say, look, I'm, my mind still will not rest when I'm meditating. This is a monk that has meditated, you know, for 40 years and we, they call it the, the monkey mind. You know, the monkey mind is still there. It's still active, but these monks have found ways to not let their thoughts and feelings overwhelm them. Um, and so, yeah, hearing, I think that really helps me is listening to uh, people like that talk and be honest. And because I think, you know, when I started meditating, like I always said to myself, well, there's a place that I need to get to. I need to get to a place. But actually, 
Buddhists would say, well, you're already there in that place. You don't need to get anywhere. It's not about getting anywhere. It's about you're, you're there and it's about letting things come to you and then kind of not reacting in your usual way, you know, so stepping back from from the thoughts, from the feelings, trying to observe them, which it takes practice. It's like going to the gym to build a physical muscle. You know, you don't just go to the gym and do, you know, uh, one workout and you're suddenly full of muscle it takes a lot of work a lot of practice and it's the same with meditation it takes you know it takes it takes time if if sitting sitting meditation formal sitting meditation doesn't work for you then you know maybe walking or even running is a form of mindfulness you know um if you can walk or run and you can really try and be in the body and not in your head so you know you're really focusing on all the senses while you're walking or running it can be really sort of yeah really powerful yeah i'm a big big advocate of 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 running actually it's uh again doesn't work for everyone but for me definitely and it doesn't work every time but it does seem to clear my head sometimes when i when i need it i love that you say that that can be a form of mindfulness because of course running is very much part of your story so i do want to ask you about that a bit later on um first i want to ask you about another time when you were alone in a very different way For those listeners who are unfamiliar with your story, you wrote your book, The Stranger on the Bridge, about a time in 2008 when you stood on London's Waterloo Bridge all by yourself and you had been hospitalised after having a mental breakdown and you had escaped from the hospital with the intention of taking your own life. But a stranger, Neil Laybourne, intervened and talked you down from the bridge and Of course, that was a time when it changed your life to have someone else there to not be alone. I imagine you felt incredibly alone in a very negative sense then. Could you tell me a bit more about that? Mm. Yeah, I absolutely was incredibly isolated at that point. Um, I just, well, yeah, I mean, in this hospital where I was uh, that you mentioned, I was it's it's weird because i i was i was so basically i was on what they called suicide watch so i was with someone all the time 24/7 but i've never felt so isolated because they would people would come and sit in my in my room in the hospital and just watch me they wouldn't talk they would just watch and yeah i mean it, it, yeah it was just so um dehumanizing is that the right word dehumanizing um you know I just felt like and I get it I get it they were trying to obviously keep me safe but you know there was no one there to talk to or no one to that would listen it was just I know and so and so yeah and so I ended up on on the edge of this bridge I, I was struggling with with my with my mental illness and also my, my sexuality you know coming from a Jewish community I I just couldn't I uh, deal with the fact that I was I was gay. I could not deal with it. But then, yeah, this stranger came along, Neil, and he he had this this kind of way about him, and he he does have this this way about him that makes you feel really listened to. And um, yeah, and suddenly I felt human again, having this and connected again. You know, after feeling I'd been in this, this hospital for a month, and I felt completely yeah alone and 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 alienated but finally i felt 
human again through this conversation because he tweeted me like a human being i think that was it you know in the hospital where i was everything was just kind of you know i had a psychiatrist and he spoke to me in a lot of like jargon and it was all you know around my medication and very kind of little else whereas neil on the bridge was so like yeah human and connected well i felt connected to him and I don't know, is it just that shifted something for me, that conversation, because of his, um, well, humanity, yes. you know? I mean, you know, I'm so sorry that you went through that. And I'm so sorry that you were in a place where obviously, you know, people wanted to help you, but the, the treatment did seem dehumanizing like that and alienating. A psychiatrist, I, you know, I'm not fully aware. I know, I know that they will prescribed drugs but is there less sort of therapy involved there there's less talking therapy yes well well my psychiatrist was back then was all about the, the, the medication and I don't know it was and the medication it can be so I, I take medication now don't get me wrong I take medication now but um the medication that I was first put on was so uh um it had such an impact on me you know in terms of my well, physically and mentally, these are really strong drugs that they can, can put you on, that they often put you on. And I just felt, I don't know, just, I just felt I was this label. I'd be given this label of schizoaffective disorder and I felt that was it. Now I was that, I was just that label and I was, yeah, ill, like ill and I would be ill forever. And that's it. That's, that was all there was to me, mm. to me now, um, which was obviously not, not 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 great not not nice at all so was the diagnosis itself was that that was very difficult for you to deal with in itself oh yeah massively massively um i just you know this so this was you know over 10 years ago and mental health wasn't talked about back then like it is now so i did feel very again alone and and stigmatized and embarrassed and yeah it was it was really it was really tough. It was really tough getting that diagnosis and being put in the hospital and not getting the the help that I needed, you know, on top of all of that was just that's what drove me, you know, to the bridge to be honest. Um there was just it was just I just couldn't live with it. Um everything and, and my sexuality as I mentioned, yeah. I couldn't live with it. It was too much. That's heartbreaking to hear. That is loneliness. That's not being alone. That is true loneliness. If you could define it, what would you say it is that turns being alone in a situation into loneliness? So I think, you know, I've been through different periods of uh, kind of mental illness in my life. So, you know, I've been through, obviously, you know, thankfully I've been through good periods of, of mental health and I've been through some really difficult periods and during those difficult periods um i'd say that's when the loneliness comes in so usually it's self-imposed actually self yeah self-imposed um loneliness where i don't want to talk to anyone i don't want to burden anyone i don't want people to see me in a certain way i um but then i become yeah i feel disconnected from from people i feel um and it becomes a vicious cycle um 
you know, I think that kind of my mind starts going, you know, saying I start saying to myself, well, the longer that I'm away from my friends, the more they won't want to see me. So I might as well just stay away even longer. And do you know what I mean? It's just it's it's a horrible, vicious circle of um, uh, guilt and um, a self kind of sabotage. Yeah, self sabotage. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's it's really it's a tough, tough. Uh, tough place tough place but I think for me the loneliness um, because I guess I'm I'm, I'm really lucky because I, I work in mental health and I know the amount of support that's out there I know the helplines I know so whenever I'm feeling that state of loneliness I know that I can reach out to someone because I know where the support is I think a lot of people that struggle with their mental health you know they don't know where to go if they are feeling lonely or, or whatever it is that's the thing whereas I I'm lucky because I know the places that I can turn to. There is help and support out there. It's just people just don't know where to go, I think. It's interesting because you are not alone. That's so often used as a mental health slogan. Is that where that comes from? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I I meet a lot of people that are affected by by mental health issues. And it it breaks my heart because, you know, I talk to a lot of individuals and also their families, a lot of families who have loved ones affected by mental illness. And that being alone is something that comes up every single time. People, they do, they shut themselves away uh, because they they feel embarrassed. They don't want to be a burden. Um, They feel, they feel ashamed. They feel they're not, they're just not good enough to, to, you know, um, to be with people anymore. And, um, yeah, you know, I've met, I've, it's, it's awful. I've met families who say to me, you know, my, my son, my daughter has locked themselves in their bedroom for, for a year, for two years, for, for a decade, and they can't face anyone anymore. And, you know, I think that's where that, you know, you, you are not alone. I think that's, that's very much where it comes from. The fact that, um, because that, that's the thing, I, I, again, because I work in mental health, and I meet so many people affected by mental health issues, I know that, that it, it's so common it is so common you know um but I think and I know when I was first diagnosed I thought gosh I'm the only person in the world that's going through this this thing having these symptoms like I feel like the only person but yeah that slogan is all about realizing that you're definitely not alone there's and and for me that was a big part of my recovery was going to support groups and listening to other people that had very similar experiences to me and realizing oh my gosh I'm not I'm not alone you know I'm actually again this makes you very human you know um people people don't people don't hear that enough I think that you know that they're they're truly truly not alone that other people are going through very you know every every experience is very individual and unique but many people out there millions of people out there are going through similar similar things yes and of course, that feeling of isolation and being cut off is a very lonely state. Another thing that really fascinates me about your story. So I know that you grew up in the Jewish community and you know I, I also grew up in a fairly secular Jewish family. And I know that coming out as gay in parts of the Jewish community can be very difficult, as with a lot of organized religions even now was that your experience did that play a part in your sense of loneliness and isolation 
massively it was it was so i i you know i i I also went to a jewish school um and i think for me it it just it just was never talked about it was never ever ever and i know it's different now you know i've been back to my old school and you know they they do things like they mark they mark pride so um and and that would that never happened when i was at this school you know we never there was one there was someone in my year that was actually he was caught kissing another boy and he was completely like ostracized for that it was horrible um that people would it was horrible um so yeah that was tough and when i realized that i was gay myself i just yeah i just um well i I said to myself well I, i i can never i can never ever come out i've got to live with this in secret i have to because it will yeah cause me to be ostracized and you know cause shame on my family and just the the thought of 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 coming out just seems it was impossible it was yeah it just seems I never thought I'd be able to do it and do you think that was religious pressure or was it more being part of a community where it didn't it seemed more traditional uh yeah I think it was I think it was both to be honest you know uh I come from a yeah it's my my family are all quite you know conservative and and middle class and um yeah and again, growing up, um, you know, people used to make odd comment comments, you know, my family about, I remember, this is a weird, random example, but one, one evening, um, this was when I was about, I don't know, 16, one evening, my, my auntie was over having dinner with us. And um, my dad said to my mom, oh, I really fancy a, a peppermint tea. And my auntie said, you poof. And um, <laughs> I remember sitting there being like, oh, my gosh. Like, he's, if that's, you know, he's just asked for a peppermint tea. Like, blimey. Like, and if that makes him a poof and, you know, wow. Then I just remember feeling, it just reaffirmed, you know, in my head that I could never, ever come out because I wouldn't be met with a. But it's interesting now because, <laughs> you know, that same aunt she said to me recently, she said, oh, you know, are you ever going to bring someone, bring a, bring a boy to, to visit? And I was like, wow, blimey, you know, a few years ago, you were ca- calling my dad a puff for having a peppermint tea. And now here you are um, saying that you, you'd welcome me bringing a, a guy to, to visit. It was interesting and, and positive, I guess, that, you know, that people can change their views. Did you know anyone, apart from obviously the, the poor boy in your, in your year, who'd been ostracized for being gay did you know anyone else when you were growing up who was gay no I didn't and that and 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 to make things worse um this 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 young boy he was then um well he was put into um uh gay conversion therapy um and you know interestingly we 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 weren't friends at school but then after school and after university when I you know, I came out quite publicly about my my mental health, my sexuality, and he got in touch with me. And uh, he said, "Look, oh, I'd, I'd love to talk to you." And um, he had been completely brainwashed. It was awful by this gay conversion therapy. And again, going back to you know being alone, feeling alone, he just felt completely. He was just completely conflicted, and 
it was hor- it was awful i felt so much uh i felt so sad for him because yeah he he uh it, this this gay conversion therapy it had a awful impact on him i mean thankfully now i know it's been banned in a lot of places this gay conversion therapy but still it's 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 i know it's happening in some places and it's pretty pretty horrendous what was the effect did it make him feel really ashamed about his sexuality extreme well extremely extremely ashamed to the point where he said that he told me he said to me that you know even though he said to me even though i'm gay i'm gonna marry a a female and um, i'm gonna get married and have kids and i don't care if i'm not happy i just have to do this and um yeah i I really felt for him thankfully again you know on a positive note he has now in the last year two years he's he's changed and he's um he's decided that no he he is gay and he's actually met a really lovely guy actually uh very recently and so yeah things are much more kind of positive for him which is great but you know he did go through a terrible time at school and then you know going into this gay conversion therapy and I wouldn't wish that on any any young person it's yeah it's it's, it's really horrible to hear about examples like that so you said when you came out what age were you when you came out so I came out when I was 21 was it I was 21 yeah um and it took a while if I'm honest you know I didn't I think I found it really difficult telling my brother in particular my older brother and I waited about a year to to tell him because I don't know I just I was embarrassed and in the end I I told him and he was so okay with it I don't know it it was weird in my head I built up that he was gonna be um upset or disappointed but nothing of the sort and I remember thinking to myself like ah you know why did I spend so much time worrying that about his reaction when, you know, he's completely fine with it? Was that before or after what happened on the bridge? So that was after this. So I came out afterwards. Yeah, it took a long time for me to um, to come out and to really be honest and admit to my family and to, my, and to myself, actually. It took a long time. But um, yeah, it was it was. Yeah, it was it was I think it was the best thing I've ever done was was to, to come out and to be open and honest about my sexuality and about my mental health as well, you know. When you came out about your sexuality, is that when you started doing your video blogs about mental health as well? Yeah, it was it was kind of around that time, um or just a bit after I just it yeah. I I guess the more that I I built up my confidence to say that I was gay, the more that just yeah the more the less ashamed that I got the more uh yeah confident I became um but yeah it it took it it definitely took um some time for sure um yeah I just there was a lot there was a lot of shame there was a lot of shame that I had to deal with and a lot of embarrassment and a lot of yeah guilt you know we keep talking about guilt but there was a lot of guilt I had to deal with um self self guilt and self um, self-negativity, you know, that I had to really sort of deal with. And where did that guilt come from? What did you feel guilty about? Well, I felt I felt a lot of guilt about... I think I felt a lot of guilt in terms of my family, you know, like, because growing up, um, I'd been a kind of... 
I don't know, this sort of perfect, well, perfect, this A-grade student, you know, I did really well in my, in my, in my school years, in my GCSEs, in my A-levels, going to university, I'd, I'd done so well. And, you know, I know that, you know, my family always kept saying, I'm so proud of you, I'm so proud of you. And then this horrible, you know, illness and, and diagnosis and hospitalization came and suddenly everything everything changed overnight and I felt a lot of, yeah, guilt for for, for my family in terms of, you know, I felt I brought a lot of shame to, to to them for kind of which is which is you know which is such a shame because if I I know that if I'd have had a physical illness for example cancer if I'd have had cancer instead um I don't think I would have had as much guilt you know well I, I you know I don't know because obviously I you know haven't been there but I, I imagine that I wouldn't have so well I you know I take the example of um so my dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer uh, three years ago now. I think it was three years. And, um, you know, when he was diagnosed, I remember, you know, talking to him and there was no guilt there. He just, and there was no guilt or shame or embarrassment from any of us. We just wanted him to be okay. And, you know, we, we, we managed to talk about it. And I don't, but when I was diagnosed, there was so much, um, it, was, it, was an ele- it was the elephant in the room, you know uh with my family with my friends it just was really difficult to talk about it and I think that added to the guilt and the shame and the you know if you if you're trying to suppress something all the time then of course it's going to bring up a lot of guilt and 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 shame so yeah it was uh it was it was it was tough it was it was tough it was really tough it was in your third year of university wasn't it that was when you went to hospital yeah and again that brought a lot of guilt because I'd had to drop out of university and yeah, I think for someone that, you know, as I said, I've been an A-grade student. I've done so well throughout, through my whole life in terms of like academic, the academic side of things. Suddenly I was, you know, one day I was in university in my third year. And then the next day I was in a psychiatric hospital completely unwell, totally unwell. I mean, obviously there was, you know, it was a build up. It didn't, it didn't just suddenly happen overnight. There was a long build up um but um yeah all of that brought a lot of yeah guilt and shame you know this this breakdown it was it was shameful for me could you tell me a bit more about your disorder schizoaffective disorder for those listeners who aren't that familiar with it yeah so it's a combination of um schizophrenia and and bipolar disorder and i guess well you know the schizophrenia side is for me at the time when I was diagnosed, I was, well, I'd, I'd been psychotic and I had felt like I was possessed. Uh, I felt like the devil was inside of me. I was, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't in reality. I think that's schizophrenia. You're not in reality. You're hearing a voice or you're seeing things that aren't there. It's really awful a lot of the time. And then the, the bipolar, the bipolar side is the rapid changes in moods, you know, very, high very manic to to really low um so it's a combination of the two but um i didn't have any understanding i just again i was given no no knowledge or or information i was just told you've got this illness and you're really unwell and and that was it and again it just that added to my uh aloneness and my isolation and my embarrassment because I, again i wish i would have given been given more 
more education, more information and, and some hope. I think that would have helped me so much. But yeah. And especially having I, I imagine it's a lesson knowing about disorder. Mm, it is. It is. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, if you compare it to things like depression, anxiety, which, you know, depression, anxiety, they are known about so much more. They're talked about much more. Celebrities have been coming out and talking about anxiety, depression, bipolar, but schizophrenia. Uh, it's there's just not enough awareness and understanding, you know. There's a, there's a long way to go, a long way to go. But of course, you've been such an incredible voice in the mental health sphere. You've been awarded an MBE. You've met the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. All of this, all of this stuff. You, you've done so much. How does that feel to have brought so much awareness to something that, at the time, was so lonely? Um, I, I just I kind of feel like it, it just feels like. Uh, this might sound weird. It doesn't feel like a job. It doesn't feel like work. It just feels like I just have to do it. You know, I just have to, I just, I think for me, I don't want anyone else to go through what I went, went, went through. And I think that's for a lot of, you know, people that are campaigning or, you know, public speaking about their mental health. It's because they don't want other people, particularly young people. Cause I mean, I, I had a, you know, my, my, my teenage years and my early twenties were really, well, I, you know, I didn't, I almost didn't make it because it was so hard. So, and, and there's, and, you know, if you look at the statistics, suicide is the biggest killer of young people under 35 in this country. So it's, it's, it's just so tragic and so many people don't make it. And so this kind of feels like I, ha- I have to do it. Like, you know what I mean? It doesn't feel like it's, I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm so lucky that, you know, I've got to meet obviously the, the Duke and Duchess and, you know, obviously getting my MBE. It's, 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 it's such a privilege, but I just, I don't know. It just feels like, um, yeah, I have, I have, I have this, this, this duty, this kind of calling this kind of, and it doesn't feel like what I'm just, just so passionate about it. And, um, and I get to meet so many amazing people. I think that's, you know, that's for me, that's what it's about is meeting and, and learning from so many people. I've met so many people with different mental health, issues who've all learned how to manage and different I'm always learning and that's so I think to be in a job where you are always learning and being inspired is yeah I feel very lucky Mm. that's interesting that guilt and of course you shouldn't ever feel guilty for having a mental health disorder as you say if it was cancer then you wouldn't do you think that your activism work has helped you cope with that guilt at all knowing that you've helped not only yourself, but you've brought so much goodness and strength to so many people's lives. I, I think I think the thing that's helped me the most is, as you know, as you said about not being embarrassed if it was a physical illness. I think for me, every time I'm struggling or I become unwell, I remember that it's it's, it's my brain and it's an organ and you know, just like the heart, if you know, I've got friends that have had heart condition or have heart conditions, have, have had to have heart surgery. And, um, you know, just like with that, with their heart, with my brain, you know, I, I it's, um, it's, it's not my fault. I think that's a big thing. Learning that it's not, it's not my fault. And, um, you know, just like other parts of the body, my, my brain can become unwell. And, 
but there's ways to deal with it there's ways to manage it and um I've learned those ways or I'm learning those ways now and I think um it took me a long time to yeah because I always used to kind of think that my mental illness was it was it was all of me it was all of me and it was my fault and um I just I was you know a kind of a, a bad person for not being able to control it for but yeah as I said is you know if it's someone with a heart issue or diabetes you know uh, yeah, there's ways to manage it there's ways to manage it but you don't beat yourself up or you don't you know you just you 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 you, you know you know that there's ways to manage it you know to ask for help if you're having a, a heart attack you're not gonna just you know think I'll leave it till tomorrow I'll just leave it till tomorrow you, you'll go and deal with it there and then whereas I know myself there's been periods when I've been really unwell and I've yeah I've been like I, I don't want to deal with it I'm not dealing with it I'm just going to pretend it's not there I'm just going to push it away but ultimately that makes me worse and so I've got to the point now where I'm like I will actually deal with it there and then you know what I think managing is such an important word I think we like to see a simple happy ending and we forget that it's a process um on your YouTube channel, you're really honest about having the occasional low week. And I know that three years ago, you were hospitalized for a period. And I think that it's so important that you're honest about that process of managing and that there will be those ups and downs. Oh, yeah, I think it's really important to be to be honest and realistic. I mean, I, I often... I mean, I, I think it's amazing that there's so many people now talking about mental health it's amazing but often I think that you know I've done interviews with like the media and the media uh, you know they they I'll, I'll talk to them I'll tell them my story and they'll say to me journalists will say to me okay well you know you obviously went through a really difficult time but now you're 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 all right aren't you and I'm like well actually no it's uh you know I, I it's 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 ongoing it doesn't just I think often we like to kind of wrap things up in a little nice little box with a neat little bow and just but actually no it is ongoing and it is important to be honest about that um it's for some people don't get me wrong for some people they might have one episode of depression or even schizophrenia it might just be one psychotic episode and then you know they manage to never have another episode again and that's amazing you know but for some a lot of people like me uh it's ongoing it's ongoing and it's important to be honest about that I think I think yes I, I mean I find that very powerful on your on your channel and through you know through everything you're very you're very very honest with your audience and I think that's great and you know I, I think a lot of what you've done um in the past couple of months during the pandemic um is you've been talking about that self-care time you spoke earlier mm. about sort of making being alone that safe space which you know which I think is really important and you know I, I wanted to ask you what you thought about this concept of alonement so making that time alone you know it's not always a set state but you know when, when you can make that time that's alone a time of self-care and, and self-compassion what what does that mean to you the idea of alonement so usually for me that means uh a really hot a really hot bath like a really hot bubble bath um that's my real like alonement time because I know that I can just uh obviously you know I'm I can't really I can't use my phone in the bath because it's too I know what I'm like I'll drop it so it's the one time actually because normally my phone 
particularly again with with my with my work you know my phone is always there well it's well, to be honest I'm always actually leaving it somewhere and then forgetting where I've put it but the point is I'm always thinking about my phone you know when I'm but most of my day I'm thinking oh my gosh uh emails texts calls but when I'm in the bath in that alonement time I'm like oh no phone I can't use my phone I don't have, I don't have to worry about my phone my emails my my texts my calls so that's my real like time of um switching off and that is really important to me really important uh, and actually to be honest I don't I don't think I do it enough it's really I think for me uh at the beginning of lockdown at the beginning of lockdown I was doing it more but as time's gone on I've been more consumed by work and it's so easy I think I don't know about you but living alone and you know uh doing doing the work that that you know being self-employed you know you can just literally work and work and work and work and sometimes I need to remind myself like okay it's 7 p.m I, I need to I need to stop now I need to shut my laptop down and I need to just switch off I think it's really easy in the world that we live in just to go on and on and on and on and on and on and yeah that that switching off is so important I hard relate when you're talking about hiding your phone because I do that all the time at the moment um in my flat and so it used to be okay because I used to give um so say I can't believe I'm admitting this, but say I was, when I was first dating my ex-boyfriend and I wanted to sort of not, you know, obsess over whether he'd messaged me back or whatever, I'd give my phone to my colleague for like eight hours during the day, during the working day. um, So I wouldn't be looking at it and I could sort of focus. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Whereas now, you know, if I'm trying to work and I don't want to be distracted by my phone because, you know, it has myriad distractions, I'll hide it somewhere and I always put it on airplane mode and then I can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, love, I think that's brilliant because, I mean, because like your your phone is, I don't know, it it, it can literally become attached to you. And I've seen it in people. I see it in my, and, and this worries me, I see it in my nieces, particularly my oldest niece. My oldest niece is uh, 10 and, you know, she's just constantly looking down on her phone or on, on whatever device she's got. And just, you know, I'm like, I'm trying to get her to, you know, play with me and, and get off it. But she's just, yeah, and that worries me, that kind of, well, I guess, you know, kind of addiction to our, phones are technology and so yeah I I I, for me um I I know that my friends can sometimes get frustrated with me because you know they can't get hold of me for a while or like you I kind of sometimes if it's just if if things are a bit overwhelming I will just switch off I'll just switch off and I'll put my phone on aeroplane mode and yeah my friends are (laughs) like I couldn't get hold of you for like three days and I'm like well I just needed some time out but you know that's okay I'm here uh, yeah um I think we've got a, a, a sort of over reliance on technology don't we and that's it's, it's 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 not always good for our for our mental health but you know I do you know I always say when you know if you've got your phone in front of you um because you know we spoke about how when you're alone social media can be an issue but if, if you've got your phone in front of you that's not true alonement time because that means you know someone can I don't know you can receive a you know a a message and not be sure how to take it 
it's not really taking that time for yourself really is it absolutely absolutely um absolutely i mean for me why the, the time that i love the most is actually like going out to the countryside i live in london and you know going out to the countryside going somewhere where there's no phone signal and then you know you just you, you kind of you don't have to worry about it because you, you you can't do anything you haven't got the phone signal so just you might as well just you know not not worry about it it takes a while at first to adjust because I'm like, oh, I'm missing. What if I miss this? What if I miss that? What if I, I actually I did a I did a, a retreat, a meditation retreat, a few years ago where I had to have my phone off for a whole week, and that was like wow, that that was really strange because I wasn't keeping up with the news with my friends, with my family, and my emails, and that was that was that was weird at first. But then I was like, I love this. I don't want my phone back. Because, yeah, a lot of people on this meditation retreat said the same. They said, oh, I'm dreading turning my phone on at the end of this and seeing every, I just want, I just want more time, like, to myself. So how, was there a certain period of time for most people that they felt, you know, was there, was there a period of getting over that phone addiction? Mm, 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 just a day or even a couple of days. But then by the, like, the fourth day, everyone was like, oh so relaxed without my phone it was just so it was just really yeah really interesting it was yeah so if I could just lose my phone in my flats <laughs> yeah for four yeah. days try it <laughs> try it the best hiding places I've, I've, I found out most of them <laughs> yeah <laughs> ah. I mean but as, uh, you know like you said with your when we come out of this period giving a phone to to a friend I mean I used to work with someone who would do that with with me she was going through a really bad breakup actually and she would give me her phone when she was getting really kind of abusive texts or or difficult texts and I, I would be like right I'm taking your phone you're not having it back for the whole day and she was like oh okay I can breathe now yeah fair, fair enough I mean I was just trying to play hard to get when I was doing that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great message <laughs> Coming back to those, you know, those self-care techniques, I know you did a really brilliant video about this because um, alonement time is really good for that self-care. Uh, what are the sorts of things have you been doing? So I know that you like your hot baths. Well, obviously I mentioned uh, hot baths, but also cold showers. Cold showers are, for me, I've I've recently started take, taking cold showers and it's just about, it it kind of resets the nervous system that that fresh cold shower and um yeah I don't know it's amazing for me uh yeah I just found it I don't know I guess it's a, a, a way of being mindful because you you're back in your body you feel that that cold water and you have to be back in your like your body so it's kind of form of mindfulness but yeah um for me other things as well such as um walking running actually running for me um Again, it works for different people, but for me, I do find running really good in terms of that, yeah, that time with myself. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's it could be difficult if there's a lot in my head, fine. But then a lot of the time, it is just me, just me, I don't know, I just, it's it just, well, it releases it, we know it releases endorphins, so it's just, it's a feel-good thing. So I've been trying to do more and more exercise. I've been trying to eat eat healthily. Um, 
you know, it's it's really it's been really tempting to, well, to to like order order lots of takeaways and eat like crap food and you know drink. I mean, especially as when the you know that it's getting warmer, the sun's been out, and I don't know. I, I always have this temptation to have a drink, but actually, I've been I've been avoiding that and and yeah, trying to really nourish myself, you know, in a good way. Not that not that there's anything wrong, obviously, with you know having a drink. Um, well, it, it depends, obviously, how you how you yeah how you handle it, I suppose. But um, yeah, for me, for me, it's been about kind of resetting and nourishing and really looking after my my body and my mind i think that's so important to mention because running is so much about mental health i think people talk about it quite a lot in terms of you know fitness goals but you know it really is about the mind as well in a really big way um and i know that you did the london marathon with neil laybourne the man who saved you on the bridge Mm, yeah yeah, and that was uh, well. As you say, it's it is so much about the mind. People think it's about yeah the body, but it's for me. It's it's definitely about the mind because my mind is telling me stop now, just stop. Okay, you've got to stop now, stop, stop. Or you know, you think you've hit a wall. You've got to push through this mental this mental barrier. Um, and yeah, that was really interesting to running the marathon because you know my body yeah with my my body was exhausted but it was my mind that i had to really uh the the doubts in my mind the the kind of um uh, yeah the doubts that i had to stop that i couldn't do it that's what i had to really push through so it was really interesting when you're running do you do you listen to music mm, mm. yeah i do i do um i do and I, yeah i've got i've got some like like kind of feel good playlists and again I think that's really helpful is I love music and music again for me is um uh you know because I uh, I've lived in lots of shared houses and you know shared work environments where other people get to have their music played but and and I I don't know people people I don't know why I've got a very eclectic taste in music and my friends colleagues will often laugh at my music so I often don't play my music if I'm in a shared space but again with my alone time I can play whatever music I want and no one's gonna laugh at me so what was on your London Marathon playlist oh see I've lost my phone I was gonna just pick up my phone and tell you but I don't know where I put it um I I think it's charging but on my playlist was um all, all sorts of kind of um well really sort of upbeat uh, the one that comes to mind is uh, Fleetwood Mac's um, You Can Go Your Own Way. Um, I don't know what it is. There's something about that. So it's a lot of kind of like, uh, yeah, upbeat, like really, I don't know, yeah, positive uh, songs. Um, a lot of them about sort of like journeys, running, like go, you can go like go your own way by Fleetwood Mac is about, you know, yeah, moving forwards, going, going. So you know what I mean? A lot of them were about, I don't know, I just found that helpful to listen to music that was about, moving yeah. journeys moving forwards i don't know no, to help me. do you ever do that thing when you pretend you're in a movie <laughs> oh yeah all the time all the time yeah keeps you keeps you going and what would you recommend for someone who is struggling to make being alone a safe space yeah no sure i mean i think um for me uh being being patient with yourself and being gentle on yourself is is important 
because um, you don't want it to be another thing to beat yourself up with you know oh I can't even do this you know um, so I think yeah being being really easy on yourself um, it, it, you know as I said to you it's taken some time to get to that place it's taken a long time to get to that place where I can really really be alone I mean I, last summer I went away alone properly for the first time and it was yeah, I do. It was it was it was really good. I needed it because work was incredibly stressful. So I went I went to Spain for a week by myself, and um, I never thought I'd get there, but I did. And you know, if I can do it, honestly, I I literally, you know, there was a time in my sort of teens, twenties where I couldn't bear to be alone. I had to be around other people, even if I wasn't talking. I just couldn't bear the thought of not of, of being alone with my thoughts and feelings. And so if I can go from that to really enjoying my alone time than anyone can so I think it's about for me it's about patience and and going easy on yourself and um uh for me actually writing is a really useful tool journaling yeah just just journaling you know with whatever comes to mind you know there's no no one else is going to read it it's just for you I think doing more things like that you know is a starting point doing more things for you uh whether it be you know just writing something in your journal, going for a cup of coffee by yourself, going for a walk by yourself, going to the cinema by yourself. I mean, that that was quite, again, for me, you know, I, I, the thought of going to, because I remember when I was growing up, people used to say, oh, you know, that person's a loser for going to the cinema on their own. And I was like, oh, but then finally I started going to the cinema on my own. And I love going to the cinema on my own because I don't have to worry about sharing my popcorn or I don't know um someone next to me chewing loudly or on their phone with the light coming up I can just sit there and enjoy the film on my own so it it takes time but you know you, you can get there Johnny thank you so much I've really enjoyed speaking to you oh uh, no you too thank you thank you for having me on yeah thank you Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Alonement Podcast. If you liked this episode, please do rate, review or subscribe. It makes a big difference to helping other people find us. Until next time. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.